Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. is Hebrews 12:1-4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of God to us. All right, you guys can grab a seat. Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Sean, and I get to serve on the team here as one of the pastors, and I get to open God's word with you today. Excited to do that. We're going to do something just a little bit different. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're taking this break in, in between Mark and Jude to do a couple of things, and today, man, I just want to, um, I want to start out by saying this is a really big day for our city. Uh, maybe you've, maybe you're, you're up to speed and paying attention this morning, but this is the day of the year that we host the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. Some of our people are not here right now because they're running or they're a part of the event, and it's just a really beautiful thing. So if you're if you're not from Oklahoma City, maybe you're new to the area, just, uh, just to fill you in a little bit, this is the day where we run a marathon that is uh, called a run to remember. This is us remembering back to 1995, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing that happened 27 years ago. We lost 168 lives that day. And so the whole thing is we're running to remember and to honor lives that were lost and lives that will never be the same. It's really a big deal for our city, and it's actually really beautiful. I don't think I fully got that until the first time that I got to kind of witness the finish line. Um, I got to stand there for, I probably stood there for about an hour and just watched people cross. Uh, We were our, our church uh, was on Broadway at the time, and uh, Frontline downtown was on Broadway, and the, the finish line was just outside the front door. I don't even think I made it to church that day. Like, I just got totally sucked in to what was happening. And if you've not seen it, um, I just, man, it's not like what you would think. It's maybe not the sterile, uh, beautiful picture of people crossing a finish line, like maybe you've seen on television. It's not a 5K, you know, where people finish and they're like fully vertical, high-fiving and hugging each other. Um, it's kind of gruesome. Like people are finishing bloody because they've fallen down. And there are people that just like in the middle of the street stop to puke because they just can't go any further. They're so nauseous. There are people that are falling over. There are people that are crawling And uh, it's amazing to watch because what you have for about the last 200 yards of the race is that on the sideline, up to the finish line, you have people that are standing on the side that have already finished the race. And they're screaming and they're yelling to the people that are falling down, you have to get up. You can keep going. 
You can do this. Do not stop now. Don't give up. You're almost there. And you see people that are like collapsing and they're picking each other up and they're just like barely getting across the finish line together. Well, this is the picture that we have in the text that we just read. So Hebrews chapter 11, the previous chapter is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. This is the place in scripture that tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but the conviction of the things that we cannot see. And it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith because almost ad nauseum, just one after the next, name after name, story after story, the author of Hebrews is telling us that there are people in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints of God, that just again and again, no matter what their circumstance was, they lived life in a way that they trusted God more than what their eyes could see. And it says that they died not having received the promise. They did not know what was coming for them next, but they just knew that they could trust God more than what their eyes could see. And it says that some of them shut the mouths of lions. Wow, that's really cool. And it says some of them were cut in two. And that's really important. I think we, we like to pass over the people that get cut in two following Jesus because we really love the stories of people that shut the mouths of lions and put foreign armies to flight. But we don't like to talk so much about the ones that were killed by the sword. But what Hebrews 11 gives us is actually that there are examples of faith that come from both. And so knowing that all of these hero, heroes stood firm to the end, not knowing what they're not, not uh, knowing what was coming for them, believing God more than what their eyes could see, we start chapter 12. And I just want to read a portion of this again uh, with that in mind. Verse 1, Therefore, right, all those heroes stood firm. Therefore, since we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses that have already finished the race, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the, the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see the picture? The author of Hebrews is calling to us in the middle of what feels like a a long race that's actually not that long. It's very short, and he's calling to us, and he's reminding us of the stories of many others who have gone ahead of us running their race on earth and with dust in our eyes and legs and bodies and minds that feel like giving up sometimes with hearts that some days just say, I don't know if I can do this anymore. These stories of faith call to us, and like those finishers on the sideline, they're saying, do not give up. Don't grow weary. You can do this. You can make it. You have to keep going. The finish line is worth it. And this is a moment where I take that in and I just realize so many of us, myself included, we just get surprised when life happens to us, don't we? Followers of Jesus, I'm actually surprised at how easily I get surprised <laughs> when things feel hard. Jesus has spoken to you and he's spoken to me and he said things like, hey, in this life, there will be trouble. It's going to be hard some days. There's going to be moments that feel really painful. Hey, there's things that are going to happen to you or happen to family members that are really, really not what you expected. And you don't really, uh, you're not able to make sense of them in the moment 
Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, this thing, why are you acting surprised when the thing that Jesus said was going to happen actually happens to you and things feel hard? Why do you get surprised by that? Hey, do you remember the part where people were cut in two or put to death by the sword? That happens sometimes. And this, this book, Hebrews, the author is writing to Christian Jews who have converted from historic Judaism and they've put their faith in Christ and stuff is just starting to get hard. And so he's having to write to them and he's having to encourage them. Things are starting to feel more complicated than when they first believed. Hey, the idea of walking by faith and not by sight, it sounds really amazing. But when the world starts to feel like it's crumbling around you, it's like not that same romantic idea of living by faith as it was before. And it feels hard. And uh, I just want to say, like, this feels really familiar to me. And so I need these words today. Today, just for the next few moments, just want to talk. I think there's three things that this author gives us. But he's calling us to live this life, to run this race knowing that we don't have the resources to run it on our own. That's actually what this whole section is about. It's the call to run, but also the resources to be able to run. And if I could just sum it up with one line, this author of Hebrews does it so well, back a couple of chapters in chapter 10, verse 36, and this is what he says. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's what we need. So he tells us what it looks like to run the race well. If this is a marathon, I just want to give you three things that I feel like are really clear in this text uh, for people that are in the middle of running. And uh, I I want you to think about the way that the people that are running in the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon today, they're being called to run and remember. Run and remember. It's a run to remember. And in this life, as we run, we're called to remember some things that are going to help us and encourage us. And that word encourage, it just means to put new courage into something, to put new courage into someone. And that's what we need today. That's what I need today. That's what I believe you need today. And I think the word of God is going to give it to us. So let me just uh, pray for us briefly, and then we're going to jump into these three things that I think the, the word has for us. God, that's what we need. We need new courage today. We need to be encouraged today. God, some of us have been running, and it feels like we've lost our endurance. Some of us feel tired. Some of us feel beat up or bloody. And today, in Jesus' name, I just want to ask that you would come by the power of the Spirit and meet with us. You know what we need. So God, I pray that you'd give my friends everything that they need today. Pray that it would be your word that nourishes and sustains us. God, I pray that you'd give me what I need today. I pray that you'd give, me, give my family what we need today. We look to the very words of Scripture, the very Word of God that has been given to us. We say, this is our hope. This is what we put our trust in. And so help us to believe it today. Give us new courage to trust and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So hey, first thing that we see in this text, really clear, he says, we got to lay aside every weight and sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses that went before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I am right now 40 years old. I'll be 41 um, later this year. And I do not know another time in my life more than right now coming out of 
a, a, a global pandemic and things that I'd only ever read about in history books set aside the reality that just like living as a Christian the last 10 years has become increasingly difficult. I don't know another time in my life that I need the very word of God to speak to me and say, hey, there's some things that you just gotta lay aside. Some things that you just gotta drop off. Hey, there's some, some things that are gonna try to addict and attach and entangle and confuse and distract you and you gotta set them down. Set them aside. I need to do this and you need it too. And the people that first read this needed it. And so he reminds us to also lay aside every weight. And when he says the word also, what he's doing is he's referencing all those people that you would read about in Hebrews 11. He looks to the people that are reading this letter and he looks to Christians living in a really strange time in 2022. And he says, hey guys, you're not the first ones to do this. There are other people that went before you. There are other people that have already walked this out, that have run this race, and by faith, they were able to do it. Jesus was actually faithful to them. You can do it too. And that's the word that comes to us. And he's saying things like, consider Abraham. This is what you would read in chapter 11. Consider Abraham and all that he left behind to pursue God's call. It says that he was living in tents, He had moments where he did not know where he was going. Consider that Abraham offered to God his own son, believing that by faith, he was believing that that, uh, Isaac could be raised from the dead. He followed God into the wilderness because he believed that there was a city that was coming whose builder and architect was God himself. Hey, that's a lot of not being able to see and still follow. He says, consider Moses who counted the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of Egypt. It says he chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Hey, Moses, he was like the prince of Egypt. He could have had anything. He could have had all the women. He could have had all the real estate, all the property. He could have had all the wine, all the servants. And he followed God into the wilderness instead. And he fled from what could have entangled him for an entire life to chase after God's heart instead. Chapter 11 says, consider Rahab the prostitute who turned away from everything that she had ever known, everyone that she had ever known to unite herself to God and to his people. Consider Noah. Hey, this guy might've been crazy. I mean, he spent all of his time, all of his money building a giant boat and everyone around him was like, dude, you have totally gone insane. And and Noah was just in this place where he was like, hey, I might have missed it, but I want to miss it listening to the voice of God more than I want to listen to any other voice, including my own. By faith, they did all this stuff. And um, sometimes I just think like the stories that we're living don't feel as precious to God, but they are. Like single people in our church are such an encouragement to me because Their faithfulness to Jesus means they're living life really differently than the world around them. It means they're living in a culture that despises and rejects the Christian sex ethic that they're walking out. People are are looking at them going, you're absolutely crazy. You're totally insane. Hey, there are married people in our church that are such an encouragement to me because they're walking out like the difficulty of marriage in the middle of what feels really broken and like there's probably no way that this marriage is gonna survive, but I'm believing that God can repair anything. 
I'm believing that God can fix anything, that he can heal anything even more than what my eyes can see. I'm going to believe that. Hey, we have people in our church that are such an encouragement to me who would otherwise fully find themselves walking out, living an LGBTQ lifestyle, and, and the world is screaming to them about who their identity is and who, who they're supposed to be. And they're saying, more than I want to hear that voice, I want to hear the voice of Jesus. And man, that's an encouragement to me because their situations are different, but the heart is, is the same in all of them. More than the thing that feels right, more than what what my eyes see or what my body tells me. I want to listen to the voice of Jesus and I want to trust him and I want to obey him. I want to let go of the grip of control over my own life and I just want to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Whatever you want for me, I'm going to follow you. Calvin, John Calvin in the Institutes, he argues that true knowledge of self leads to the true knowledge of God. And hey, here's what that's all about. Like if we know ourselves, simply put, if we know ourselves we know precisely the places where God needs to meet us. That's what we need. So let me, just, let me just ask you to, like, let's not just fly past that idea. Let's do a little bit of work together in this moment, in this text. And let me ask you, can you name the sin which clings so closely to you? Can you name it? Can you do some heart work and do some digging? This is not like a call to try harder or do better. This is an invitation like the one that Jesus gave to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, watch with me for a while. Pray with me for a while. The spirit is really willing, but the flesh is weak. So to follow Jesus, we just need to be aware of the places where we would, we would be tempted to kind of take the off-ramp you know what those places are in your life? What are the places where it's like, man, it just feels too hard. It just feels like too much. I just, I just need to bow out. The reason that being honest about our weakness is so critical to discipleship is, let me just tell you, you have an enemy. Satan, he is an expert on you. He knows the thing that turns your head and quickens your pulse. He knows. He's, he's watched the game film on you. He knows those places. And, um, and it's not... Throwing off sin isn't just as easy as saying that's what you're going to do. It takes work. And the other thing is, knowing your weakness is such an invitation to commune with your Savior. It's precisely the place, all of your weakness is precisely the place where he's sufficient, where he's enough for you. So Hebrews says, all these people, all this hall of fame, this cloud of witnesses, they died without receiving the reward on earth because something greater was waiting for them and they knew it. That's why it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. They couldn't see it, but they knew something was coming. They laid aside everything and they ran without knowing what God had for them. And just knowing that God had a plan that was truer than what their eyes could see, they went for it and they ran. So the first thing this text tells us to do is to lay things aside why, why is it that we're supposed to lay things aside? Well, that's the next thing, is so that we can run. We're going to run with endurance. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hey, there are people that this morning downtown got on the start line, and when the gun fired, they tried to sprint, <laughs> and it did not go well for them. Um, like just probably, you know, a couple of miles in, they were having to pull off and they were becoming spectators on the sidelines. Running a marathon is such a weird sport to me because you almost never hear about someone winning, you know? 
Like probably someone cares about that. <laughs> There's probably a few people that care about that. Um, maybe like if you, if you watch the news tonight, they might, you know, you might hear a name or two mentioned in how they finished the race. But the goal of running a marathon really isn't about winning. It's just about finishing the dang thing, right? That's what you're trying to do. And I love, that the, I love the encouragement of the Hebrews here because it's the author saying to us, hey, life is super hard. Of course it is. God knows it's super hard. He knows that. And, and in order to finish the race, you've got to be really careful about the way that you run. Hey, the goal is not to be the fastest. The goal is not to finish ahead of everyone else. It's just to get to the end. Because when you get to the end, there's something really glorious that is in store for those who finish. Hey, can I just tell you something like about myself? Um, the, the more I live, the more days I live on this earth and the, the more I feel just the weight and the responsibility and the, sometimes the pain of life, the more I've just completely lost the illusion of finishing this life, finishing the end of the race with any kind of swagger. Like I just, that's not gonna happen for me. Like I pro- I'm probably gonna get to the end of the finish line by God's grace, bloody and nauseous like people that are, downtown today. That's probably what's coming for me. But let me just tell you, like, the goal for me is not to, to finish with a swagger. I just want to get to the end of the race and love Jesus and be faithful to my wife. Yeah. You know, I could just, those two things would be amazing. If I, if, like, that would be a huge win. But it's going to take endurance. And the people that run the race today uh, in our city, I hope... <laughs> Have, have had to spend some time, some of them years, training for today, knowing that today was going to be a hard day. The hard day was going to come. They had to prepare. And that's what exercise is, right? Like we're working our muscles. We're actually tearing our muscles so that they can come back stronger. And it feels painful in the moment. And we know what that is. Like I think we're kind of, we're okay with that. We go to the gym and we go, yeah, I'm going to be sore the next day or I'm sore today because I did a hard workout yesterday. We're like, we get that. But when it comes to life, we're really confused about why we feel pain. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Can you imagine if you went to uh, the gym and you pushed yourself, you did a hard workout and your muscles in the moment were like, what is happening? I've got to bail on the process. This guy must absolutely hate me. Surely there's nothing good that can ever come out of this, I'm out. <laughs> but that's the thing that we do, isn't it? When God is working on us, when we start to feel stretched, when we start to feel pain, we go, there's no way anything good is gonna come of this. If suffering comes into our lives and we crumble because we didn't think it was possible, I just think that we should recognize that our expectation and our theory of life is just totally different than the one Jesus told us to have. I just think we should know that. And the author of Hebrews is writing to us, and you can almost hear in his voice, there are things that are going to feel painful. This race is, is going to feel hard sometimes, and I just want to encourage you, run at a pace that you're able to finish. I want you to be able to keep going. I want you to run free. I want you to run unencumbered and pursuing the goal because it is coming for you, and it's worth it when you get there. Hey, the good news here is that like running with endurance, this isn't like something that we've got to muster up or come up with. God has actually given grace gifts to the church to help us finish the race. We forget this. Like 
I want to give you three things. that These are just three of, of what I consider to be really huge graces that God has given to the church. And hey, maybe this is going to sound like, oh, that's so elementary. Um, well, yeah, like the Christian life is not supposed to feel like rocket science. God has told us what to do. And this has actually worked for generations of people ahead of us. Let me give you three things that you need to be able to finish the race. You need the voice of God. You need to hear the voice of God. That comes through reading his word and through prayer. You need that. You need to be able to hear his voice louder than the other voices. You got a lot of voices shouting to you, including your own. You need to hear the voice of God. You need the people of God in your life. Number two, you need other brothers and sisters around you that go, hey, when you're not able to hear the voice of God, I want to help you hear him and see him clearly. You need other people that you can confess sin to and that can confess to you. You need brothers and sisters, the people of God, the church gathered, people around you, in your home. You need that. You need, third, you need the table. Can I just encourage you, like, when you come to the table as a follower of Jesus, can we not just do the thing where we, like, grab the bread, drink the cup, thank you, God, now we're going to go have the real meal and go to lunch? This is a meal of grace. This is a place that God is sustaining you. This is a place that God is encouraging you, that he's meeting with you. That's the promise that we have. Those are three really important things. Hey, if your life just kind of feels upside down, if all of your habits have gone out the window, if, uh, if, if everything just feels like you've, you've lost all of your priorities, can we, just, can we just not do anything complicated but go back to some basics? Those are three things that I think God will really meet you in. Most people that have finished their first marathon, I was reading about this, say that the hardest part was right around like mile 20 or 21. And uh, so here you are, mile 20, mile 21, you're totally exhausted. At that point in the race, you've already run like your longest uh, training distance and you've still got like five or six miles left. (laughs) And you just hit a wall. And they just talk about that wall that you hit right around mile 20 or 21. And, and as followers of Jesus, we've been given grace. Future grace means, hey, I know that when I hit the wall, I know that when things feel really hard, I know that I can put one foot after the next, and when I get to mile 20, I get to mile 21, Jesus will be there to meet me. He's already there. He's already there. He's going to be there to meet me. There's this place in, uh, there's this part of the book, a John Bunyan classic, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read the book, it's just this allegory for a follower of Jesus that uh, is walking out the Christian life, is trying to get to the end, experiencing grace and trial, just trying to get to the end of this long journey where he wants to see Jesus face to face. And the main character, his name is Christian, and he finds himself at one point in the valley of humility and death. And he's just super discouraged. He's, he's to the point where he's just like, I don't even know why I'm doing this journey anymore. It feels scary and it feels painful and I have no idea what's coming next. And he gets to this point where he's like, I think maybe at this point I'm just gonna turn back because I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And, and these are the words that Bunyan gives us in that chapter. He says, Christian, he had half a notion to go back, yet he reasoned he might be halfway across the valley. Realizing that he had already passed many dangers and thinking that the risks behind might be greater than those before him, he resolved to go on. The author of Hebrews 
these lives of the people that have gone ahead of us. They're calling out to us today with the words of the old song that we sometimes sing, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And it was grace that got me safe this far, and it's going to be grace that gets me home. Hey, who knows if you might not be halfway at this point. You can't turn back. It was grace that got you safe this far, and it's grace that's going to get you the rest of the way. Sometimes enduring just looks like taking one step and then taking another step and then taking another step, that long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes it actually means less than that. This word endure, it, it, all through the book of Hebrews, uh, in the Greek lexicon is hupamino. And that's a word that just means to remain or to stand still. Isn't that amazing? Hey, have you noticed that when suffering comes, the first thing that you want to do is retreat? You want to retreat from the word of God. You want to retreat from prayer. You want to retreat from singing. You want to retreat from uh, spending time with the people of God. You want to retreat from even eating right. Like when suffering comes, sometimes the thing that we have to do is just stand still and endure and hold on. John Owen, this old Puritan, was, he was writing about sailing. I thought this was fascinating. He said, when a storm comes, listen to this, when a storm comes, if you hold the rudder firm, when the storm subsides, you'll actually have made it to your destination faster. The storm might actually be the thing to push you along. But if you let the rudder be affected by the storm, you let go of the wheel, let the rudder be affected by the storm, it will have taken you completely off course. If God showed me, um, like if God 10 years ago were to sit me down and go, hey, let me just show you what the next 10 years are gonna look like, I would have totally bailed. I would have just walked away, man. Just, I, I can't do it, God. There's no way I can go through all that. There's no way. There's just no way that I can do it. And, and what we see is like, all through the New Testament in the, the stories, we just finished the book of Mark, Jesus calls people to these things that feel really crazy in the moment, but he's with them the whole way. And that would be what I would say to you. The last 10 years, man, there's been some stuff that I, I would have totally bailed. But Jesus has walked with me through it the whole way. There are things that have been a surprise to me, but not to Jesus. It's helpful for me to remember, man, Jesus has never called anyone to something that he's uncertain of. He, call, he calls us to a lot of things we're uncertain of, but he's never called us to something that he is uncertain of. We are not supposed to focus on the path, but we are supposed to focus on the finish line. <laughs> Keep your eyes up. Don't look down. Don't look at the path. Keep your eyes on the finish line. So that's the third thing. The first thing we do is we're going to lay everything aside so that we can run. We're going to run with endurance. And how do we do that? Here's the last thing, number three. Looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me the amount of change that our world has gone through in just two years' time. I mean, isn't that crazy? Like, looking back to the way things were just a couple of years ago, maybe we're gonna get back to, you know, some of that. I don't know. But, but I think we all feel this, like 
in our church, we've had people just, their job, probably a lot of us, on some level, our jobs have changed. Like what we do from day to day is just different than it was back then. Some of you lost jobs. Some of you are in completely different careers. You never saw that coming two years ago. And here you are. Our relationships have suffered. And I just think a lot of us have felt that. Our relationships have suffered. Some of us have lost relationships that we thought we were never gonna lose. We've lost them altogether. I think a lot of us as parents have felt like um, you know, a good portion of our kids' childhood has just been taken away from them. That hurts. That feels crazy. And uh, speaking to teachers in our city, like this year, kids are just absolutely wilding out off the rails. Uh, gr- test grades are declining. Uh, test scores, grades are declining all over the place because they've just completely lost all of their habits. It's been nuts. And, and there's so many other things, but here's the one that hurts. Here's the, here's the one that to me just keeps me up at night. People I love that have, people I know, people I love, people I'm close to that have admittedly said, hey, you know what? At some point in the last two years, I just took my gaze off of Jesus. I really don't see him as my king or my savior or my friend at this point. And, uh, and, and you know, in those conversations, it'll be like, yeah, uh, somewhere along the way, like, I was, I was all in. I, like, these, these are people that two years ago were here, hands raised, loving Jesus, following Jesus. And somewhere along the way, they were like, things just started to feel hard. I don't know. Things started to feel hard. And I started to actually question the goodness of God. And that led me to this place of, like, deconstruction. I was deconstructing everything. But that led me to a place of just full-on deconversion. And now I, I don't even know what I believe but I'm just trying to figure it out, trying to figure out kind of how to live my life on my own. That one hurts. That one hurts. And I think all of us in this room, we're on some kind of a spectrum of, of the way that this, this period of time has affected us. Um, maybe there are people, man, maybe you're here and you're like, hey, my job is actually better than it was two years ago. My relationships are actually better than they were two years ago. My hope in Jesus is more than it was two years. If that's you, man, praise God, that's amazing. That is not my story. And that is probably not most of our stories. And so what is the call of scripture to you and I in the place we find ourselves right now? Here's what it says. Look to Jesus, remembering that he's the author and the perfecter. Hey, that you have an author means that you didn't just wake up one day and decide that you wanted to love Jesus and hate your sin and pursue God in, in every way that you possibly could. It means that you have an author. And I think probably we're comfortable with having an author because that means like he's writing the story, he's gonna finish it. But I don't think we're as comfortable having a perfecter of our faith because having a perfecter of our faith sometimes means that he wounds us in order to perfect us. Um, that I have a perfecter of my faith means that Jesus was not absent in the most difficult parts of my life, but he's actually been really present in the middle of them, shaping me and working in me and, and doing things on purpose. Hey, if it took suffering to purchase our salvation, why is it that we think we're exempt from experiencing it in order to be shaped? We do that. Hey, are there things that have been a huge surprise to me? Yes, Things that have been a huge surprise to my wife? Absolutely. 
Is there anything in my life or your life that has surprised Jesus? No. No. And so we're supposed to look to him. We're supposed to remember him. And man, like we're good at giving each other like trite little sayings like, look to Jesus, brother. Uh, The Bible doesn't do that with us. The Bible doesn't give us just these trite, like, just look to Jesus. It actually tells us what that looks like because there are times where you cannot see him, man. I know I'm supposed to look to Jesus. I forgot what he looks like. I'm trying. But we have the very word of God that again and again shows Jesus to us. Just one place I want you to see that I think will encourage you. First Peter 2, this is what he says. There's this whole section and, and really a theme in First Peter that's just him encouraging the church to look to Jesus in the middle of suffering. But this one section, he says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here's Jesus for us. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. As he was being wounded, you were being healed. This is the Jesus that we look to who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? that was set before Jesus. Well, it wasn't the glory of God. He already had that. It wasn't the presence of God. He already had that. It wasn't the holiness of God. He already had all those things. It was the reconciling the enemies of God back to the Father so that we would be sons and daughters. That was the joy. That's why he did it. That's why he went to the cross. Hebrews 2 says that it's fitting that he should, by suffering, bring many sons to glory. That's what Jesus was doing. And he did it with joy. Tim Keller is like this black belt ninja in using language to help us see the beauty of the gospel. This is what he said about it. This is beautiful. He says, in Jesus' suffering, he was looking to us. In our suffering, he calls us to look to him. Look to Jesus in the middle of it. Feels painful. Look to Jesus. He's been through it. He's walked through it. And he's walking with you through it. And while he's enduring the cross for us, it says he's despising the shame that was meant to be ours. Despising the shame. Hey, one of my favorite things that we get to do, we're going to do in a few weeks as a church, is when we fill up a horse trough and we baptize people, and they're just standing in the water and they're just, they're naming all of their brokenness. They're talking about their sexual sin. They're talking about their addictions. They're talking about all the ways that they've been sinned against and all the ways that people have have sinned against them. They're just letting it all hang out. And right then in that moment, what we're doing is we're despising the shame because we're saying, yeah, that's who I used to be, but thanks be to God because of Jesus. It's not who I am anymore. It's not who I am anymore. What, What the enemy has meant for evil now becomes reminders to us of just how gracious God really is. Hey, the spectacle no longer is the sin or the shame. The spectacle is the amazing grace that overcame it. That's despising the shame. We get to do that as followers of Jesus. And so today, those three simple, quick things, Jesus comes to us with an invitation. 
He comes today to put his courage back inside of us. How do we run the race? How do we run when things feel especially difficult in life? When it feels hard, lift your eyes up. Look at Jesus. He's writing your story. He's perfecting your story. He will not give up. He started it and he promises that he's gonna finish it. He's gonna be there with you. You cross the line of faith, the end of your life, maybe bloody, maybe beat up. He is present with us. I wanna just read over you the word. These words encouraged me this week in studying from David Platt, just talking about this idea of keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is, this is what he says. The vision will keep you running your race. Do you see Jesus? There he is. You are getting closer. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep guarding. Soon you will see him as he is. And then you will see his scarred hands and look into his majestic eyes. His lips will move and he will say, well done. He will place a crown on your head and on that, on that day, you will not regret fighting, running, and enduring for his namesake. 